Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. It's actually taken me ages to record this. I've done so many recordings, it's not funny. Because I'm one of those people that can't sit still for five minutes. I'm interested in a lot of things. I like to be doing new things all the time and learning. So it's meant that here I am at 56, mother of four, married to John, living in Australia, and I've done so much stuff. I just don't know how to begin talking about it or what to include or not include. So I'll give a very brief overview of the most interesting or relevant bits here, and I'll go into more detail about various things in other episodes. I'm going to start the story back in February 2001. John came home from work with a book that a work colleague had told him to read because he was really clear that this particular book had changed his life. At the time, we were married with three young children. We'd managed to get ourselves into the housing market a few years earlier with the help of a loan from our parents, and we'd worked our way up to living in a nice house. John had a good job. I was a stay-at-home mum. The youngest at the time was about two years old. Financially, we'd worked our way up to that point where we looked as though we were doing really well. We had a nice house, a nice car. The kids were happy. You know, we had all the stuff. But really, behind the scenes, what was going on was we were just living from paycheck to paycheck. Every time John's salary went up, the spending went up to match it. We had a big, long list of things that we'd love to do. Big, long bucket list. You know, we'd like to go on holiday there. We'd like to buy this. We'd like to take the kids to Disneyland. We'd like to do whatever. But no matter what happened, while we ticked some things on the list, more and more things got put on the list that we could never, it was quite obvious that we were never going to be able to afford them. And then I read this book that John's work colleague had given us, and it was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by a man named Robert Kiyosaki. And that was when everything changed for us. It quite literally opened up areas in my life that I had no idea would ever be an opportunity for me. I don't know whether you've ever read the book, but it has a series of exercises to help you decide what you want your financial future to look like. And one of the first questions was, do you want to be secure, comfortable or rich? So I read this out to John and John's thinking about it and he said, oh, yeah, I want to be secure. You know, I want to make sure I can pay all the bills. But yeah, no, maybe comfortable would be better because then we'd have a bit of extra money to do stuff. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. I was just horrified. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to be comfortable and I definitely don't want to be secure. I want to be rich. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with no thoughts of whether we can afford it, with not having to save up or do anything. I want to be rich. I'm very lucky in the husband that I have in that he's like me. If he's going to do something, he's going to do it right now. He's going to get on with it really fast. So we sat down, we did lots of plans and we had ideas about things. We spent a good few months just creating all these different ideas. We read every book we could get our hands on. We attended seminars and webinars. We watched videos. We listened to CDs. We did everything we could to try to expand our mindset, to help us get rich. We joined clubs of property investors. We started looking at how are we going to invest in this stuff? How are we going to buy a business or stocks and shirts or any of those things? Because we didn't have any cash reserves. 
After a few months, John took leave without pay from his job and we took out a $40,000 loan to kickstart our wealth creation life. We needed to start off small and we needed to build up our cash reserves. So the first thing we did was invest in a black box horse racing investment program. Now, black box means you can't see what's going on inside it. It does all this whiz-bang stuff and works everything out and then it tells you which horse to place a bet on. I know I, I can't actually believe I did this, right? But we did. We thought when we listened to all the blurb and talked to the salesman, we spoke to somebody who was regularly earning between $1,500 and $2,000 a week from just placing a few bets every week and it, was, it looked as though it was genuine. The promise was that their secret whiz-bang algorithm would create a nice $1,500 a week income for ourselves if we followed the rules and backed the right horses. I actually did okay as long as I wasn't betting any real money. As soon as I had even 20 cents on the race, I lost every time. So we gave that up pretty soon. We checked out businesses, but all of the businesses that made any real money were way out of our price range. We wanted to buy something that could be built up and run under management, but we just didn't have the money to buy them. Over the next few months, we bought a few houses, did cosmetic renovations on them and resold them again within a, within a few weeks or months, making maybe five to $10,000 each time. But it was really hard work and a lot of pain for not that much gain really. I could have made almost as much money if I'd gone back to work as I did from doing that. We tried vendor finance in houses, but that's really difficult to do in most of Australia because we have negative gearing over here. And besides, like with everything else, you need the money for the deposit and the purchase costs for every house. Then one day we saw an ad in the paper which said that cashed up investors were looking for somewhere to put their funds. We called the number and arranged to meet the guy to discuss our needs. He told us that he had contacts in Asia who were looking to invest in Australia to help them satisfy visa requirements. We'd done all the business plans and cash flow forecasts for vendor financing a large number of properties, somewhere over the 100 houses mark. And the guy said he could get us as much money as we needed, but suggested that we start with a small amount initially, say $200,000 or so, until both us and the investors got to know each other. So we signed the documents and then he told us that he needed a 10% payment up front. That was $20,000 to get everything finalised. We hesitated, not just because we didn't have the $20,000, but it was because deep down we both knew that this was a scam. This wasn't going to happen. But we were so desperate to get out of the rat race and into financial freedom that we felt that we had to do this. In the end, we looked upon it as an educational expense. We'd pay him $5,000 and if he took off with the money, that was $5,000 lesson learned. And of course, that's exactly what happened. We gave him $5,000, not the $20,000 that he asked for, and he left and we never saw him again. Just over two years into our wealth creation journey, John decided to take the plunge and leave work forever. His first try at leaving work when he took leave without pay, I think it was six weeks and he had to go back to work and we had an extra $40,000 debt. But at this point, a year earlier, we'd started doing a lot of work in the personal development field, working on our mindset as a whole, not just around money. In the very first course that we did, the leader of the course told us that anything is possible and we believed him. We have been reading enough stuff for this to make a massive difference. We began to realize just how limited we were in our thinking about 
what we can and can't do and how we can and can't do something, we began to realize that we fully believed that it takes money to make money and we can only do certain things until we had more money, more experience, more whatever. The other big belief that stopped us was that you have to do things a certain way and we suddenly saw how restrained we were in our thoughts and actions. We began to see how many limiting beliefs and stories we had about ourselves and the world around us. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. I'm not stupid. I'm poor. I'm wrong. No one likes me. I don't fit in. All of that kind of stuff. We began to see all the reasons and excuses we used as to why we couldn't become rich. Takes money to make money. Money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard and save if you want to get anywhere. So when John came to me in April 2003 and told me he wanted to leave work, I was pregnant with our fourth child. I had no qualms about him leaving work. It felt like exactly the right thing for him to do. We were still investing a lot of time and money into our education and we attended a seminar run by a local real estate guru called something like How to Be a Property Millionaire. It sounded like the perfect seminar. We still hadn't got anywhere close to where we wanted to be despite trying every single real estate money-making idea that we came across. Just as a bit of background here, let me say that I was pregnant with our fourth child at this time and I don't enjoy being pregnant. I'm in a crappy mood for the entire nine months. So when we went to this seminar and realized that the guy hosting the seminar had done less in real estate than we had, he'd only read about vendor financing, we'd done it. He'd only read about doing quick cosmetic renovations, we'd actually done it. And I spent the entire weekend getting more and more angry about the fact that he was a property millionaire and we weren't. And how can that be when we'd actually done more than he had? The last exercise we did on the seminar was a vision board. We'd never done one before. John had got sick of me griping at this point and was sat over the far side of the room doing his vision board. But the two of us quite separately, and this is one of those bizarre moments in life, we both put photos of exactly the same house on our vision board. It was this massive gorgeous mansion with an indoor pool overlooking a city and you could see all the lights and it was just stunning this was our 10-year goal for both of us but looking at it made me feel even more unhappy because I didn't want to be living in this house in 10 years time the kids would be nearly grown up and getting ready to leave home by then or the oldest ones would anyway I wanted to bring up my children in this house I just didn't know how to go about doing it A couple of weeks later, we were walking past a newspaper stand and we saw a real estate magazine with a photo of this huge house with an indoor pool and stunning views across the Perth River towards the ocean. The caption across the top of the page was Entrepreneur's Mansion and it was quite obvious that this house was a doer-upper. We grabbed the magazine and a cup of coffee and we checked out the information. On the house, it had eight bedrooms, six bathrooms, two kitchens, an indoor pool, stunning views across Perth, and it needed a full-on renovation. This was the one. This was our 10-year dream. The only problem was we still had no money. But with all the mindset work we'd done and with all the stuff that we read, we knew that if we wanted to create something, we could. So we called the real estate agent to book a viewing. We rocked up for the viewing in a ute in a torrential rainstorm. We couldn't tell whether there were any gorgeous views or not because the visibility was so poor you couldn't even see the other side of the garden. But the house was amazing and enormous. We did some pretty cool negotiating and a lot of thinking outside the box. 
And on August the 13th, 2003, the day after our daughter turned four and four weeks before our fourth baby came along, we moved into our 750 square meter, six bedroom, six bathroom mansion with its indoor pool and beautiful views. We bought the house with no money down and we did a deal where we pulled enough money from the mortgage to make the repayments for the first 12 months. We'd achieved our 10 year goal in three months. Since leaving his job, John had been working with a friend to build up his friend's earthworks business. One day they were doing some earthworks for a developer and they realized that they could be doing this kind of development for themselves, a big land subdivision. So John went out looking for a suitable site and within a few months we had our first development, a 54 block land subdivision worth about $10 million. Since then, we've completed about $80 million worth of our own developments and we have about another $50 million in the pipeline at the moment. According to all the wealth experts, you shouldn't rely on one source of income. You should have multiple sources of income, preferably passive. So although we were doing well from the developments, we also started looking around at businesses that we could run under management to help create that passive income. We knew how often small businesses struggled because they were short of cash. All they needed was a little extra cash to see them over the next few weeks and they'd be fine. So we decided to create a company providing short-term loans to businesses. The idea was that we'd establish the company with the intention of selling it as a franchise. That way we could maximize our potential revenue from it and minimize the amount of input that the business would need from us after the initial establishment. We spent about nine months with a systems expert creating everything that would be needed for franchise documentation and we employed the initial team to get the head office and the business started. It was a complete flop for several reasons. The main one being that we were only doing it for the money. We didn't enjoy it. We weren't passionate about it. It was simply about money. And we realized at that point that doing something purely for the money never works for us. It does for some people, but money's not a motivator for us. We want to do things that interest us and we're passionate about, and we just weren't passionate about this. Around this time, I also tried to start a renovations business in the UK with a friend and that ended badly too. For that one, it was that I went into business with somebody who didn't believe that what I was saying was possible and she didn't think we could do it. And that was another lesson. You only work with the people who are in complete alignment with what you believe. Around 2008, I was busy playing the entrepreneur and property developer. We had two houses that we moved between. It was all going pretty good. I've never really enjoyed being a stay-at-home mum. And as soon as we could afford it, I paid for a nanny to help me do all the things that I didn't enjoy doing with the intention of spending quality time with the kids. But it didn't work out like that. The quality time never really seemed to happen. It just didn't feel right to me. And quite obviously, it didn't feel right to the kids because they came to me and held a kind of family meeting and told me they didn't want nannies anymore. What they wanted was a real mummy. One of my commitments is that I'd be an awesome mum. And quite obviously, I wasn't doing that when I was working. And I couldn't figure out how to work around the nannies and do the things that I wanted to do with the kids. I just felt terrible at this point. I was obviously a really bad mother and guilt hit me and I stopped everything. I From that point on, I've only ever worked in the background of the businesses. I've still been involved, but I've not been on the front line. 
things were going quite well for another few years, despite the GFC and everything. And then in 2010, we bought a precast concrete company. Precast concrete are those big panels that you see erected up on the side of warehouses and office blocks. They're huge things that come ready-made and the cranes just slot them into place where they're supposed to go. It speeds up the building process massively. Because of the developments we were doing, it made sense for us to buy this company so that we could work those products in with the developments that they were doing. After a couple of years of owning the company we won a big job and it was one that was going to keep the entire factory busy for a year we really hesitated about whether to take the job or not because it was going to put us in a vulnerable position if this company didn't pay us for whatever reason we would have no other source of income because we had no capacity to do any other jobs but it was a lucrative contract and it would guarantee work for the guys so in the end we weighed everything up and we took the job and they didn't pay us Over the next year and a half, we sold everything we had to try and keep the company going while we completed the job. The contract was a very strict one. We had to do the work, even if we didn't get paid. We had no option in that. So we had to continue and hope that we would get paid at the end of it. We didn't. At the same time that all this was going on, I'd had a major operation that meant that I couldn't exercise for 12 months. I've exercised almost every day for my entire life and it didn't occur to me that not being able to exercise would affect me emotionally. By the end of 2012, with the stress of having two children go through their final year of school, the operation and everything that was going on with the precast company, selling all our assets and everything, we finally decided to sell the big house and move across to Sydney from Perth. We were living in Perth at the time to be closer to John's family. We rented a house in northern Sydney. I moved over with the kids and John stayed in Perth to try and keep the company going, coming over to Sydney every four weeks or so. We had no income at this point and it was becoming more and more obvious that the company would have to go into liquidation, which it eventually did in September 2013. For months, the only income we had came from selling things on eBay and at markets and from casual work that the kids did. When John came over on his monthly visits from Perth to Sydney... He'd look round for development because it was quite obvious that we needed to start building ourselves up again. We noticed that there were a lot of downsizers in the area, older people whose children have left home and are now looking to move to a smaller place. It was a wealthy area, but most of the apartments that are on the market in that area are not very nice. They're close to the train line, they're small, they're noisy, you can hear the neighbours, and the apartments feel completely different to the big homes that most of these older people have lived in for all their lives. There was nothing that attracted them to an apartment. We saw that there was a huge gap in the market for high-end, modern, open-plan apartments aimed at the downsizers. John went looking for potential development sites and soon managed to get a block under contract. I was an emotional wreck at this point and living in a city didn't help. I like to have space around me and peace and quiet and being in among so many people made everything so much worse for me. A few months after John had found the new project and the precast company had gone into liquidation, I decided that I'd had enough of Sydney and we moved up to Armadale in country New South Wales to a 40-acre property. We still had no money at this point, well, less than no money and very little income, but we managed to get 
this 40-acre property with no money down again. The vendors offered us some finance, which we will pay back with interest in two years' time, by which time we would be getting regular income from the developments. We thought things were on the up and up, but then a few months after we moved to Armadale, something else happened. We'd been in contact with the creditors from the precast company and were working with them to pay off the debts with the proceeds from the developments. But this particular creditor decided, for whatever reason, to file for bankruptcy against John. What that meant was that John couldn't be a director of a company for three years, nor could he get any kind of finance for six years. Now, my background is actually in construction. I'm a qualified quantity surveyor. And John and I met when I began working on the same building site as him when I first graduated from university. But I've always worked in the background on the developments and John's always been the front man. So now if we wanted to proceed with the developments, we had to change ownership and directorship of everything to me. Around this time, as if there wasn't enough going on, the menopause really began to hit me. The kids were starting to leave home and my role as a full-time mother was clearly coming to an end. But I had no idea as to what I was going to do with the rest of my life. When I chose to put the kids first and stay at home to look after them, giving up any focus of pursuing a career, building a business or anything entrepreneurial, I had no idea how difficult it would be to start again when the child rearing was all over. It didn't occur to me that getting back into the workforce or a business would actually be a problem. In fact, I don't think that I ever imagined that I would be going back into the workforce or that I'd want to because I kind of had this vague feeling that there was this natural transition from being a stay-at-home mum to being a granny and I didn't think about what else I would be doing with my life. If I sat and thought about it, when I thought about empty nesters, I envisioned these kind of grey-haired grannies pottering about doing gardening and going shopping and meeting their friends, possibly playing bridge or something. But I don't picture me and I don't picture other women my age. I didn't go into the whole stay-at-home mum thing with an exit strategy. I went into it not realising that there is actually life after kids. I've spent the last few decades putting children and family first. What I wanted took a back seat. Getting out of the habit of putting my desires and dreams on the back burner has been a very difficult thing to do. For Mother's Day in 2016, my eldest son bought me a book titled Blogging for Dummies. He said because he couldn't find a book titled Blogging for Middle-Aged Women. I was a bit perplexed by the whole thing. Why on earth did he think that I was or would be any good at writing or that I'd want to share any of this stuff with anybody or that anybody would actually want to read it or listen to it? I hadn't written anything since I'd left school other than reports and business letters, certainly nothing creative. I also realised that my day was just filled with stuff, just stuff. I didn't actually achieve anything other than keeping on top of things. I got up in the morning, I fed the cats, fed the dogs, went outside, fed the horses, changed their rugs, came back, made the breakfast, made the lunches, took the kids to school, came home, tidied up, mucked out the horses, did the washing, did the ironing, went shopping, sorted out whatever needed to do with the business, picked up the kids, made the dinner, cleaned up, and then it was bedtime. That was my day every day. I felt like I was on this big treadmill going nowhere, just running to stay upright. I knew from my personal development days that consciously creating your day, saying how you want it to go and focusing on the things that are important to you and that move your life forward makes a massive difference. But no matter what I tried, I just couldn't seem to do it. 
I headed to Amazon to try to find a book to help me with it. And it came up with two suggestions, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, which is an amazing book, and 100 Shit Hot Journaling Questions by a woman called Kat Laterzo. I thought the title was hilarious, so I bought the book. She had this amazingly free and easy style of writing that paid no attention whatsoever to the correct way of doing things. It really reminded me of the way that we'd done the whole developing and wealth creation thing. I signed up for a mailing list and a few days later got an ad about an upcoming program that she was running called Rich Chicks. Oh my Lord, I can't even say it. Rich Chicks Coaching Certificate. I spoke to John about it and signed up for the program. It wasn't a cheap course. It was 5,000 US. And while that amount pales into insignificance compared to the cost of some of the other education we've done over the years, it was a very long time since I'd spent anything on myself. And I found it very confronting to even be considering doing it. But it felt right. And I knew that I had to do something. I mentioned earlier about not being in a good way mentally and emotionally at all. And this had been going on for a number of years by now. I was just settled into this kind of numb depression that I couldn't shake off. I knew it was there. And I also was fully aware of how much pain it was causing my family to watch me go through it. But the problem was I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to do or anything that I really could do. When I looked around, it looked to me as though all of my friends and certainly everybody on social media were really happy. They had careers, they were fulfilled, they had these amazing businesses, or they really easily and smoothly made the transition from stay at home mum to super successful. It seemed like I was the only one who couldn't make that step, the only one who didn't know what to do or where to start. And on top of that, as far as I was concerned, I had no skills to get back into the workforce. And to be honest, I wasn't really sure I wanted a job, but you know, it would have been nice to know that I had that choice. Doing this course with Kat gave me the opportunity to connect with other women who were a similar kind of age to me. We were scattered all over the world and I discovered that many of them had similar stories to me and that they also felt lost and uncertain and bewildered and didn't know what to do with themselves now the kids had grown up. And they also knew lots of other women who felt the same thing. So I began to write articles on mindset and money and finances for women my age, both on Facebook and as a guest writer for other sites. Later on, I also began to blog about my personal life, my family, my experiences and my interests. That's how middle-aged women's stuff came about. And while I love writing, I also love talking to people and finding out about them. The Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood blog and podcast is about all of those things that confront us in midlife. It's about moving beyond the inertia that many of us feel and creating a new future for ourselves and making the most of life. It's about reaching out to other women who are going through midlife to share both my own and other people's experiences. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.